I want to tell you a story. Um, today is one of my favorite, my favorite passages. We're, our focal passage is, uh, is, is uh, uh, Mary's Magnificat this morning. And so uh, this passage is one of my favorite in all of Scripture uh, because I love music. I love listening to music. I've always got my AirPods in, uh, listening to, to something. There are times uh, that I do like and that I do enjoy the silence, but there are some times that I really enjoy um, uh, just being, like, being in music. Music does something different to you than just spoken words do, which is part of the reason why corporate worship uh, involves uh, singing, because it evokes different emotions than, than listening to the proclamation of God's word. It's all a different, uh, they're all uh, uh, different parts of the same service. You know, you don't have Craig leading worship, and then I get up to preach, and so the worship time is over. The worship time, you're worshiping as you walk in, Right? You've had private worship all week long. You walk into corporate worship, and then as you leave here in just a little while, you're going to leave and enter back into, whether you're going to life groups or whether you're going home, you're going to, to enter into uh, a different phase of worship. And so uh, worship is so, to me, is so important. I want to tell you a story uh, about, about something that, that music did to me when I was... Uh, when I was 13 years old, uh, that would have been 1995. Um, uh, what has become one of my favorite uh, albums of all time? Um, I, I had just subscribed. Maybe you remember this. Do y'all remember? Uh, do y'all remember compact discs? They were uh, they they were labeled CDs. The kids in the room are going, "What's a CD, man? Like, is that all, can you find a CD on Spotify?" Um, and you may remember records, right? I mean, we have we have a record player at our house. You know, 45s, and there were other numbers. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm showing my age. Um, but but I had just ordered back in the day. You could order um, CDs for a penny. You could order like 20 CDs for a penny from this company called Columbia House. I had just, I, did, I didn't tell my parents, I taped the penny. They do this, you tape the penny uh, to this order form and you mark the 20 CDs that you want. What a deal, you get 20 CDs for a penny and I shipped it off and I was like, man, I can't wait. What I didn't realize is I was locking myself into um, a, a contribution that would last the rest of my life uh, where I, I had to pay like $500 a month for the rest of my life uh, for, the, the, for all these brand new CDs that I would never listen to. Um, and we wound up breaking it. They threatened my credit when I was 13 and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, so anyway, so I got my, my order in and one of the CDs that I got was the brand new Boys to Men album. Some of you are like, who is Boys to Men? I think it already, right, you know? And so, so here I am, so I pop Boys to Men in, like we're singing all, all you, know, you know, End of the Road and all these other songs, like, oh man, I love it. I love it. And so one day I was going to play in a golf tournament with my dad. I, I, I'm an only child. I had the whole second floor of our house to myself. It was glorious. And I haven't had that since. And so... So, uh, so I'm sitting there, I'm listening to it, my eyes are closed, I've got my arms out, and I'm just swaying, I'm singing this, I'm singing this song, and you know, oh, it's just so good. And I open my eyes when the song's over, and I turn around, and my dad's standing there. He goes, what are you doing? I, I'm going to be honest with you, now that I'm an adult, I look back to the lyrics of the song, I had no concept of what I was singing. Like, I, like I, I should be, at, at 40, I should be embarrassed. But man, when I, was, when I was 13, oh, I didn't care. You know, it's interesting what, what emotion does to you. Some, sometimes it causes you, and maybe it's in worship, or maybe you're in, hopefully not in your car. Don't close your eyes in your car. But you're, sometimes, you, you know, whether you're in the shower and you're saying, well, I want to dance with somebody. I want to feel the heat with somebody. 
right, Whitney Houston? Anybody Whitney Houston lovers out here? Okay. Um, thank you. Very good. I sweat over singing that like for a whole week. I knew I was going to do it. And maybe, maybe you're, you're sitting going, now, now, pastor, we're in church. You know, may, maybe we should pick different lyrics and something about dancing. Okay, fine. M- m- maybe we pick like a, like a Christian song. What, what, about, what about these lyrics? What are these lyrics to you? They're in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its, its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Amen, right? What gets, what gets an amen better in a sermon than lyrics like that? Man, music. It conveys a certain kind of emotion that, that words just, sometimes just the words themselves can't get across. And that's what today's passage is. Today's passage is the Magnificat. It is the song that Mary sings when the angel leaves her presence and she realizes that she is the one that God has chosen of all the people to ever live, who ever will live, who currently are living. God chose her to be the one to carry the most precious gift that he has for the world. Magnificat comes from the the Latin. Magnificat anime uh, mea dominum means my soul magnifies the Lord. Imagine having been told everything that Mary had just been told, what her responsibility would be. Now, let's don't elevate Mary to a place that God doesn't, okay? Mary was a willing servant of the Lord. She says so herself. But imagine being told everything she's told, and then all of a sudden, bursting forth, these, these feelings, and she begins to sing. I'm going to give you a history lesson. Four, to, it shows how we got to this place. All right? 400 years of silence. We talked about the intertestamental period before when Malachi ends, and it ends with Malachi giving this prophecy that on the day of Elijah that God was going to send his servant to come and to redeem the world out of its sin. And then, and then that's it. For 400 years, nothing And that silence was going to be broken by a pronouncement to a little peasant girl in the nondescript town in northern Israel of Nazareth. And so Gabriel tells her this story that she's going to be, be, that she is going to conceive and that her son is going to be the heir to the throne of David, to the son of, that he would be the son of God. And she and Joseph her then was her fiance. That's a very important thing because, because Joseph wasn't her husband at this point. And so her fiance, she, they will name him Jesus because he's going to save uh, his people from their sin. And so at this point, Mary is confused. I don't blame her. She's a virgin, right? But Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Holy Spirit's going to take care of all the details. And since Mary knew that her older relative Elizabeth was with child, and she knew the story of Abraham and Sarah conceiving at their age. She knew that, that, that it was certainly plausible, right? And then in verse 37, the angel comes along and he says, oh, and by the way, in God, all things are possible. Mary's response here was critical. And, and that's where I want us to kind of, kind of marinate today. Verse 38 in, in Luke chapter one, Mary says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
this journey wasn't without its share of trials. And I want us to dive into that today because I don't know what trials you brought in with you today, what kind of baggage you have, you've had over this week or the last few weeks. But I do know this, that Mary's response to the picture of her conception is a model for us as we seek to follow the Lordship of Jesus. Today's big idea is this, is that that many times the Lord will do his greatest work in us while we're in the midst of the times of greatest pain. And you say, well, that's not really where Mary was, wasn't it? I wonder how it felt to be a pregnant, unwed mother in first century Israel. Imagine how, how that, that looks today. But then in the first century culture, there was pain. There was stigma. And so we're going to look at Mary's response today. Let's start reading. Uh, let's start reading in, in verse 46. We're going to read the Magnificat together this morning. It said, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnificat anime mea dominum. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, who has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Why does Mary rejoice here? What a, weird, what a weird response to God doing something so unbelievable. Like Mary, Mary's response, and, and you know, I don't know if, and we've talked about when, 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 when something happens, what's you know, to us that shakes us up, what's inside of us comes out. We've talked about the hot uh, cup of McDonald's coffee that spilled on the lady. We, we've talked about what's inside of us when we're jostled. That, all that seems to come out, and what seems to come out of Mary is joy. How in the world is joy what comes out? Here she is, she's pregnant, she's unmarried, she's most likely the subject of gossip and the like, right? Why in the world would she rejoice is when by most accounts her life is in a tailspin? Four things I want us to look at together this morning. And she pulls out, Mary pulls out these, these attributes of God. Maybe things that we get wrong she pulls out these attributes of God in a response to the pain she was feeling. Number one, we see that the Lord restores joy from brokenness. Praise God for that, right? Because if I was responsible for finding my own joy in this world, I would be a sad sack most days. All right? I'm not good at finding joy. All right? I'm, as a matter of fact, we were driving home from Jingle Jam last night and some dude cut me off. There was no joy. There was no joy on Gervin last night. And by the way, I got in the middle of all of that tangled up, mangled up mess on Gervin. Man, if I'm going to come be your, be your interim pastor, y'all got to tell me about stuff like that. We didn't even make it to the lights. 
I just wanted Starbucks. The Lord restores joy from brokenness. Look at verse 47. Look at at her response. She said, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary rejoiced here because the Lord chose the most unlikely person on the planet, an unwed uh, uh, teenage girl to carry his most prized possession. And she says, generations from now, Those generations are going to call Mary blessed. Don't miss this. Mary found joy not in her circumstances. She found joy when she laid down the necessity to find favor in God. And she realized that God had already found favor in her. Now, church, understand this. There are days, I I need need to talk to you as your pastor today, okay? There are days when I struggle to find favor in God because my circumstances, in my flesh, in my circumstances, some days I'm just not capable of seeing it because my eyes have been blinded by my circumstances. If we live our lives to find favor in God, we will miss the mark. But when we realize that God has already, because he loved us, because he pursues us, because he runs after us, he, we have already found favor in him. And when, when he finds favor in us, we automatically find favor in him. Not because of who she is or what she had done or what her name was or who she was betrothed to, but because of who God is and what he was doing through her. Friend, what what joy we have when we find that joy, when when the light goes on for us that we don't have to look for favor in God. He has already found it in us and we reciprocate to him in worship, regardless of your circumstances. So here's the great leveling block here. It doesn't matter what you walked in with today. And I don't want to minimize what you're walking through But I want you to understand that that you don't come in with greater or lesser pain than anybody else. When when our, our lives are filtered in God, there is nothing so great that he cannot restore our joy out of our brokenness. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our mistakes, of our regrets, of our pain, of our past. Knowing that even with our baggage... God still wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to use you to accomplish his purposes. That's what restores joy out of brokenness. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter, mind you, okay? He was the loud one. He was the arrogant one. He was the one that always ran his mouth off, who did stupid stuff. He was the disciple you don't want to be. And look at what he winds up saying after everything he had experienced. He said, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Can you you imagine as Peter is writing this to a scattered, persecuted church? You think that he doesn't remember the times that he strayed from God? He doesn't think about the baggage that he carried when he denied Jesus three times on the night Jesus was crucified, or on the night that Jesus was, was betrayed. And here he says, there was a day when you were straying like sheep, but, but you've returned to the shepherd. 
Church, we were all straying at one point. Isaiah chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord laid upon him our punishment. The Lord restores joy out of brokenness, but he also replaces our weakness with strength. You ever just wake up some mornings and just go, I can't do today. I just can't do today. I'm I'm too tired. Maybe it was a conversation you had the previous day. Maybe work just, well, work just became work. Adulting is just not in my my future today. You just want to pull the covers back up uh, and and just kind of start all over. Hey, I I feel you. Okay, I feel you. Do you think Mary felt that way? Verse 49. This is her response. She said, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and he is holy. Even from creation, when, when, the, when the Lord spoke the world into existence, God has been about dis- displaying his strength so that when we wake up and we're tired and we're hurt and we're broken and we're beaten down, we have a constant reminder that the one who spoke the world into existence, who separated the water from the land, who created birds and fish, and creeping things and all those things. The one who spoke it into existence. That same strength, that same power lies within us because the ministry of the Holy Spirit resides within each believer. And I don't know about you, but there's days I try to resist. There's days that I don't know that I, that I necessarily want to, but I kind of do. That I don't want to walk the direction Jesus wants me to walk. Think about the people who have tried to resist God. Pharaoh tried. Nebuchadnezzar tried. Belshazzar, uh, he tried. Caesars down the line have all tried, whether it's Caesar, Augustus, or Nero, or you know, Marcus Aurelius, whoever it happens to be. They've all tried to resist God, and God just says, no, you're not going to do it. All have tried and all have failed. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14 when Abraham and Sarah are finding out that they are with child, we read, is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Church, why is it so hard to submit to the Lordship of Christ when we know, we know as believers We know that in our deepest times of pain and of suffering, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And you know why, right? Like, it's it's not hard. Like, you don't have to have a seminary degree to realize why we rebel against God so often. Because our view of God is not big enough. And I think that waxes and wanes with with how our lives are going. I think when everything's good, we have this mighty view of God. Oh, God is so good. He's doing all the great things. Oh, worthy is his name. And then in times of anxiety or times of uncertainty or times of pain or brokenness, we say, God, are you even there? I think that's the problem with the modern church. We spend so much time creating the right environment to experience God. 
We want the lighting to be right. We want the sound levels to be right. We want the experience to be right. And what we've done is we failed to create a need for us to fully rely on God. Our culture wants you to think that if you're not strong enough, that God won't love you. That if you don't get your life right, that God doesn't want anything to do with you. That you're not faithful enough. That, that you're too broken to be used by him. And, and thusly, when we've created this environment where you have to have it all together to be able to even come to Jesus. Vody Bauckham once said that the modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. May that never be said at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. Do we do lighting? Yeah. Do we do tech? Yeah. I, by the way, I love this. I love the screens. I love being able to throw stuff on, on the screens for you to see. Last night, all this was filled with jingle jam music and lyrics and all kinds of good stuff. I show videos. Granted, I show you SD videos from Linus, you know, doing the Christmas story a couple weeks ago. We want the lighting to be right. We want you, when you walk in, we want you to, to be able, to, we want to move away any of the barriers that would cause you to, to not experience God. But one thing we don't want you to do is to leave here with a, a misappropriated picture of who God is. Don't listen to culture. Culture, I mean, th these are people that, that, that elevated the Kardashians for goodness sake. You're not the only broken one. You're not the only tired one. You're not the only weak one. Friend, come to Jesus. He takes your strength and he replaces it. He takes your brokenness and he replaces it with his strength. And when you meet the real Jesus, he replaces your tired, your weak, your broken bones with his strength so that you can cry out, for mighty is he and holy is his name. The Apostle Paul said, wrote to a tired, broken church in Nero's backyard. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, he says, In all these things, we are more. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The Lord replaces our weakness. When we submit to the Lordship of Christ, he replaces our weakness and our brokenness with his strength. But he also renounces unrighteousness by righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah, the prophet said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called in the house was filled with smoke. And I, and I said, can you imagine Isaiah's response? He said, woe is me for I am a man. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst 
of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so at verse 49, Mary says, holy is his name. You know what that means to be holy? It means to, to be set apart, to be separate. God had every reason in his righteousness to be separated from his people in, for all time. Our sin, we are men and women of unclean lips, church. We're, we're not able in our own strength to come to God. Yet John chapter 1 and verse 14 said the word, the logos, became flesh and came to dwell among us. I love what Craig said earlier that the king of glory left the splendor of heaven to come to a broken earth. That's the story of Christmas. That God renounces our unrighteousness by being righteous on our behalf. He alone is holy. He is set apart from us. But, but we, church, we have to acknowledge, we have to make a habit of acknowledging just the way Mary did that God is holy. And yet he imputes us, offers it to us, his holiness, his righteousness, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he said, For our sake God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friend, it is through Jesus and only Jesus can we be righteous. And so as Mary is singing this song, talking about the generations will call her blessed, is it because God has elevated Mary to a place that is above us where, where she becomes co-mediator uh, with God, with Jesus to God on our behalf? No, that's, that, that's Catholicism. That's there, there's nothing in Scripture that says that, that, that Mary is anything other than being blessed. And the reason why Mary is blessed is because God chose to use her in her brokenness, in her weakness, to do great things for his glory. Even Mary's own pronouncement in Luke chapter 1 and verse 38 speaks to that. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. We call this Mary's, and maybe the heading on your Bible says that Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat, what it says in my Bible. This passage, look at it. You see the pronouns, right? She says, that's my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. But when, when you look at, at most of the pronouns that are used, they're all speaking of God. The only time Mary in the Magnificat speaks of herself is when she talks about the blessing of being used by God in faith. This story is not about Mary. Mary was a servant that God chose to use. This story is about God, for he is the one who chooses. He is the one who invites people to partake in his plan, in his will. And then when he calls, he prepares. He did it for Mary and friend, regardless of what you're dealing with today, he can and will do it in you. Lord renounces our unrighteousness by taking our unrighteousness on his shoulders in his son Jesus. 
that we might become righteousness in him. But finally, we see that the Lord renders faithfulness through mercy and grace. Look at verse 51. It says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. These passages are that God show us that God's mercy, that God's grace is for all who would believe. The beauty of this story is we're done with virgin births. We don't need it anymore. We're done with prophecies. There's only one prophecy left to go, left to go fam, and that is Jesus' second coming. We're done with the prophecies. Don't believe Kenneth Copeland. Don't believe Benny Hinn. The last prophecy we're waiting on is Jesus to come in the eastern sky. And that's what Mary celebrates. Don't ask for a sign that, that God's promise will be fulfilled. They're all around you. Look at the signs. Look at verse 51. God scatters the proud. Verse 52, God topples the mighty. Verse 53, God sends the rich away empty. Verse 54, God exalts the humble estate of, their, of his servants. And he fills the hungry. If we're truly going to see the depth of God's mercy and God's grace in our lives, we simply need to admit that we are people of poverty. And I don't mean financial poverty or socioeconomic poverty. I mean spiritual poverty. We can't get to him on our own. We can't earn God's favor through good works. That's not why we do good works. Believer, you do good works out of the outflow of your salvation, not that you might attain it. It's through his mercy and his grace. And so Mary has confidence here that, that God fills his plan. He fulfills the plan and he keeps his promise. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forevermore. All that he said to Abraham and Abraham's descendants is, is about to come to pass. All the prophecies in the Old Testament waiting for Messiah are about to be fulfilled. And now that we have the privilege of looking in hindsight, we see that Christ was born just as it was promised. He lived a sinless life. He offered righteousness to God in our place where we couldn't do so. He died a sinner's death, suffering the wrath of his father that was meant for us on Calvary's cross. He, he satisfied God's anger and he died. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he would be gloriously resurrected from the grave, proving that the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And the prophecy that was written in Isaiah chapter 9 that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Starting where we are now and looking back. If we ever wondered why Mary would rejoice, it's because God showed her just a little bit of the plan that he wanted her to play a part. Now, are you going to carry the Christ child? No. Regardless of what they tell you in culture, guys, that's not in God's plan for you. But can God use you to make his name famous in a lost and dying world? You betcha he can. But the same faith that Mary exercised when she said, let it be as your word proclaimed. That should be what comes out of our mouths when God says, I have a plan for you. If you're in this room today, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. That plan still applies to you. But you must first trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Renounce all the dumb stuff you've done. I get it. I've done my fair share of dumb. Believe me. But ask God to forgive you of your sin. To be restored to Him. In just a moment, back in the back, you're going to see a, a, there's a photo wall with presents by it. That's, that's our next steps area. Pastor Matt, who you saw up here just a little while ago, is going to be standing back in the back. I, I want you, before you leave, the doors are going to be open. There's going to be a temptation for you to walk out. If you're feeling that tug that God's giving you today to trust him as Savior, I want you to go back and talk to Matt. Come see me down front. We want to tell you about the greatest Christmas gift you'll ever receive. That is God's big gift to our world. Trust him as savior today. If you're a believer in the room, trust him as sustainer today. Some of you need to let go of baggage. You're, you're letting the baggage that you carry with you keep you from all that God wants to do in you. He's bigger than whatever it is. Lean into his ministry today. Father, we love you and we praise you. As we walk out of this place today, may we be reminded that you are enough, that you're better than our circumstances, than our brokenness, than our hurt, than our pain. And that you put right all of those things that we've done wrong over the years that have been done wrong to us. So, Father, I pray in these moments that if there's someone that needs to trust you as Savior today, that they will not walk out of this room until they've gotten right with you. So Father, do what you would do in us today if we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.